All right, well, we are continuing in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 19 this morning. As we jump into chapter 19, we're continuing this story about Samuel, about Saul, and about David. We focused in the beginning of 1 Samuel on Samuel himself and how the Lord raised him up, used him as a prophet, as a judge, and as a, a priest in the nation of Israel. But they demanded a king, and they demanded this man named Saul. And Saul became king over the nation of Israel, and we followed his narrative. And we've seen this guy become a great hero of Israel, but to be slowly poisoned as he was always thinking about himself, always about his pride, always about showing himself and working in his own strength. And we've seen the poison of envy over the last few chapters as Saul has slowly begun to deteriorate as a few chapters before. The prophet Samuel was with Saul. And there was an argument that took place as Saul was disobedient yet again to God. And as Saul reached out to grab Samuel, his robe was rent, it was torn. And Samuel told Saul, this day the kingdom of God has been torn from you. And now we have seen, seen that slow decay to this point where his greatest servant, his greatest helper, his greatest hero, David, a young shepherd boy, has become his enemy. His best friend, his closest confidant, that who was nearest to him, literally sung him to sleep at night, has become his enemy. He's been so embittered, so changed. And he's actually tried to kill him several times as we go into chapter 19. But David keeps going back. I shared last week, hey, no way, I'm going back. You throw, any of you throw a spear at me, I'm not coming back. It's happened not once, but twice. And David is still there serving him. Let's jump into verses 1 through 7, chapter 19. And now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. And so Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. And thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Oh, man, the love of a friend, a good friend, to come and to intercede for you. If we look at Jonathan, he almost gets overlooked. But Jonathan is a real hero. He doesn't betray his father. He doesn't betray his friend. And scripture tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. 
And so here is Jonathan just being upright and honest, looking out for David. Hey, David, go home, but be wary. My father's trying to kill you. Let's the secret out. But then he goes to his father and he just talks to him. He doesn't betray his father. Remember over the last few chapters, Jonathan and David are vying for the same throne. They're both on track to be king over all of Israel. They should be at each other's throats. They should be in the world's eyes trying to outdo one another. But instead, they look out for one another. They cover one another. They're both seeking out the Lord and the Lord's kingdom first and the Lord's will be done. Jonathan knows what it's like. In chapter 14, you remember that Saul almost had Jonathan killed because of one of his crazy oaths. Jonathan had taken a hill and Saul made this ridiculous oath. If anybody eats this day, he's going to be killed. Jonathan didn't know. He was away. He took some honey. Remember, he was refreshed. He was ready to fight. He told his father, that's dumb. These guys need to eat to fight. Why did you make this silly oath? And Saul almost had him killed if it wasn't for the intercession of Samuel in that situation. Now here's Jonathan interceding for young David. And Saul, proving himself again, what does he do? Makes another oath. As long as the Lord lives, as, as the Lord lives, no one will touch David. He'll live. You know, some of us here this morning, we're in some real tough situations. Some of us are in some real tough relationship issues, financial issues, work issues, home issues, personal issues, spiritual issues, mental issues. Sometimes things get better for a season and we think, oh, I made it through. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be good. And, And it seems like that here with David. It was as times before. But this is truly one of the darkest times in David's life, and he doesn't know it yet. It's going to reveal itself. Time always reveals the truth. Time always reveals the truth. The Bible says, by their fruit, you shall know them. You give it enough time, you'll see if it's real. You'll see if it's true. You'll see if it's changed. Unfortunately, many of us, we put the blinders on and pretend like, oh, well, just outlast it. Everything will be all right. That's not going to be the case here. It seems like Saul has changed. He's a new person. Oh, he's listening to reason for once. Times are as they were before. That's simply not the case. Saul has what is called in the book of Hebrews a root of bitterness, something that's deep in the soil that's poisoning him. And he can't change it in and of itself. Some of us here, we have a root of bitterness against someone, against something, against something that's happened in our past, a situation, against a person that's done us very wrong. And it's bittering all your other relationships. It's bittering your relationships with others for the future or that situation, that event is causing you to lose hope or lose joy in the future. That's what's happening with Saul. It began with the sin of envy. How come David is having these great victories 
and I'm not. Remember a few chapters ago, they were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Number one hit song in all of Israel. And the bitterness just continued to grow. There's a warning in James chapter 1. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Something small that began in the life of Saul has now continued to grow and to expound and is getting worse and is getting worse and is getting worse. The well from which he is drawing is poisoned. We must beware. Chapter after chapter, I've given the warning. Are you a Saul this morning? Are you embittered? Is it affecting relationships? Is it causing those that are your greatest helper, your closest confidence, to be pushed away from you? Are you a Jonathan? Out of love for the Lord, you're able to intercede. You're able to encourage. You're able to comfort. You're able to, as the Bible says, if you follow the ways of the Lord, you make even your enemies to be at peace with you. Are you a David, a continual servant, even though you're being oppressed, even though they're coming against you, even though you're doing nothing wrong, everything's going wrong for you? You say, well, why me? I thought I was doing everything right. The danger is you could be a David today but become a Saul tomorrow because you're embittered by your situation because you're doing everything right. You're seeking out the Lord. But you're saying, why me? How come now? Saul was the hero. Saul was the Lord's anointed. He received the prophecies of God. He had Samuel meet with him in his home and pour oil on his head. He was the tool and the servant of God, but he became poisoned and embittered by pride and envy and his own strength and his own glory. Who who are you choosing to be? What choices are you making? Are your situations making you or are you making your situations? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Are you a peacemaker? When you come home, is the drama boiling up or is it simmering down? When you're invited into a situation or, or a relationship or an argument, are you bringing peace? Are you bringing a cure? Or you bring bitterness and poison and fear? Are you a peacemaker? Or are you a warmonger? Does strife follow you wherever you go? Wherever Saul goes, wherever he puts his hand on something, in this state, in this fleshly state, everything goes wrong. Wherever David goes, whatever David does, whether he is the shepherd or whether he is a warrior, whether he's the captain or the general or whether he's the musician at night, wherever he goes, peace follows him. The love of God follows him. Let's continue and see what the fruit of these two guys, what happens as worlds collide once again in verses 8 through 14. And there was war again. David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. 
Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him, to kill him in the morning. And when Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. And so when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Man, everything was back to normal. Everything was all right, and now it's all gone. And don't forget, Saul made this oath. As, long, as the Lord lives, David shall live. But no, he couldn't hide what was in his heart. Again, time revealed it. There was David once again, the third time, singing, serving him all night. And the scripture says Saul tried to pin him against the wall with a spear. How poisoned Saul is. Saul is in the safest place in all of the kingdom, his throne room, and yet he's clinging to a spear. He's afraid. It's a place of comfort and relaxation, and yet it's been poisoned just by the sin of pride and envy. When you go home and you lay your head to the bed, do you have the peace of God? The peace of God, not of yourself. Or are you clinging to the spear, ready to strike out? Are, are you resting in God? Or are you trying to rest in and of yourself? Saul is going to bring utter destruction, not only to him, not only to those closest to him, to his whole family. He sends out spies, and what became a secret envy, and then he tried to trap David in secret, has become open warfare against David, his, the greatest hero in all the nation of Israel. Now David is going to do something that is harder than anything he's done. All of David's life he has stood up and fought against insurmountable odds. When he was a younger boy, he took on a bear and a lion, then Goliath, then 200 Philistines last week. He's gone to battle and won many battles. Now he must do something that is completely against his nature. He has to run. He has to run away. There is a time when God will tell each and every one of us, it's time to run away. Do not stay. Do not fight. Do not go headlong into the storm. It's time to run messengers are all around him spies are all around him this is david's home we think of david of the future we think of david the king we think of david who sets up his throne in jerusalem we think of david the psalmist we think of of david unifier of the kingdom we see his future we don't see where he's at right here right now in the scriptures he is separated from his wife Separated from his family, separated from his finances, separated from his soldiers. He's separated from his hometown. He is separated from everyone and everything that he has ever known. And as he slips through the window at night, 
And he's in the darkness, the cool desert night. Nothing on his back. The stars, insurmountable, no, no electric lights to block his way. Nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. And what, what was he thinking? Was he scared? Was he frightened? Was he lonely? Was his trust in God? Was, was he even looking to God? Was he weeping? Or did he have steel determination? What was on his mind? And you just say, Lord, you read the scriptures. Why don't you let us in on what's going on in his mind? Ah, uh, but there's a secret here. Let's turn to Psalm 59. Psalm 59. give you a moment to turn there middle of your bible to the right of where we are now this is the introduction to psalm 59 to the chief musician set to do not destroy a mictum of david when saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him david wrote a psalm he wrote a song about this very situation and he tells us his heart everything that was going through his mind this is what it says. We're going to read through quickly through it because we don't have too much time to stay in it, but you'll, we'll point out a few things. Verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. It's believed that Selah means to, to meditate or to ponder, to take a moment. At evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power. Bring them down, O Lord, our shield, for the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips. Let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them, that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob. To the ends of the earth, Selah. At, and at evening they return. They growl like a dog. Go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O oh my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. David, I believe, is 
writing this song as he's running away in the night. I'm just inferring. He may have done it later, but that's my personal belief. And he's singing about these men that are watching him, that they're like growling dogs. You know, here in the South, if you go and you walk anywhere, you got to take a big old stick with you because you got growling dogs everywhere you go. And you're just like, oh, I see you. And if you're like me, I just, I'm watching the dog as I go the whole way. Like, you're not going to get me. That's how David's describing these men. As he's sneaking home, these growling dogs. I see you setting an ambush. I see you. And here he is running away. He says, God is laughing at their plans. He says it in Psalm 2 as well. But again, put yourself in his shoes. He does not know the future. He's separated from his wife, separated from his troops. We know later on he has no weapons. He's just escaped by night. He has no idea what's going to happen, what is next, just like you and me. And he says he sings to the Lord. And he says he sings to the Lord, praises, for God is my refuge, for God is my strength. We say things like, God will never leave you nor forsake you. And we say, oh, that's cute. I get it. Yeah, God's God. You can't affect him. No, no, listen. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He cannot be touched. He cannot be conquered. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He is a high tower where no enemy can come in and attack. He's a castle, a fortress that no matter what you're going through, no matter your loss, your sickness, no matter your fear, you run to him. See, the Lord doesn't want you to run in panic. When God says run, he doesn't say run into the dark night. He doesn't say run for your life and maybe you'll find a place of escape. No, he says, when the alarm sounds, run to me, all ye that labor, all ye that have a burden, and I will give you rest. We escape to him and he locks that gate tight and nothing can touch you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not tribulation, not sword, not sickness. He is our all in all. He is our refuge. David has lost everything, and he has lost nothing, and he sings. Doesn't mean that he's not present in the circumstances. It doesn't mean that he's aloof to everything, chanting, oh, nothing affects me. No, he's, Lord, deliver me from my enemies. Lord, have vengeance upon them. Lord, take care of them, but I will sing to you regardless. You're my strength. You're my refuge. You're my tower. The things that are going on in your life, finances, the fear, the depression, the secret thoughts of the enemy that are burning a hole, maybe the root of bitterness that you have for someone or something or some situation, something that has happened to you that has completely altered the path of your life. Jesus Christ is your refuge. He's your strong tower. Let's look at some other Psalms. In Psalm 31, 1, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. We run to his righteousness, and he delivers us from times of trouble. We trust him. Verse 35, uh, Psalm 35, verse 9. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. 
Our joy comes from God, not from our circumstances. We rejoice in His salvation, not our works. When all else fails and we go to battle, we go to battle in our own flesh, God says run and run to His salvation. Run to His joy. Run to Him. In Psalm 144, But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Without the Lord, listen, without the Lord, in any situation, believer or non-believer, without the Lord, you're destitute, alone, with no one. There is no one there. When you put your head to the pillow at night, there is no one there but you and God. And God is ready to have a conversation. And if you're not, you're giving him the silent treatment. You're destitute. You're truly alone. But he's there. Cry out to him. Run to him. Run to the stronghold. Run to help. Again, it's not a a run like run away, drop your sword and, and give up to the world and be overtaken. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Whatever situation, whatever mental anguish, whatever secret thing that you're struggling with, God has victory through Jesus Christ over sin, death, and the devil. Now, we are overlooking a character here as David is running away into the desert, focusing on him. There's a woman back home named Michal. Ladies, when the world is trying to overtake your husband, when the world is trying to trap him and destroy him, are you helping him escape? Are you helping him to run to the Lord? Or are you another trap? Are you one of the spies that are out to get against him out of bitterness? Maybe something that has given you a root of bitterness? Are you there to encourage and to help him to delay the enemy and to bring him closer to the Lord or are you standing in his way? Are you bringing more trial and strife? Now, Michal's not perfect and I have no idea but a part of me wonders. I don't know if it's culture. I don't know if it's commandment. I don't know. Why isn't she with him? Why didn't she run away with him? Why did she stay? Also, there's something interesting here. When it says here in the scripture that she put a statue back in 1 Samuel chapter 19, it says that she put a statue in the bed and put goat's hair. That word there for for statue, for image in our new King James in verse 13, took an image and laid it in the bed. The word there is in the Hebrew is idol. There's an idol in the home. It's a big one. Man-sized idol that she puts in the bed. And I'm inferring now Why is that thing in the house? And now she's trusting in idols and in deception and in lies. Instead of trusting the Lord, why didn't she run together with him? She stands up for her husband. She doesn't betray her husband. Let's give her all the credit due. And I don't know a lot of those things about that culture. But ladies, we have to take take stock of our lives. What decisions are you making in your home? And so Saul sends the messengers. McCall lies and says, uh, he's sick. He can't come out right now and buys David some time. But the fact of the matter is, 
David and McCall's relationship is never going to be the same. They're going to be separated for decades. And when they reunited, it is not pretty. It's going to be an ugly marriage from now on. Man, life hurts. But we got some real life in our fellowship. We got people that have been divorced, hurt multiple times, been betrayed by spouses. We've had relationships. Every marriage you ever see with two people before the altar, they expect everything to go well. They expect it to be perfect, all their hopes and their dreams. And then life just hits you like a ton of bricks. Yet Jesus is there. He can't be touched. It's perfect. You can trust in him. You can run to him. He weeps with you. He is the God of all comfort. He touches you who have been maimed and hurt and blinded by this world. And he gives you peace. And he restores. The Bible says in the Old Testament, that which the canker worm has eaten, God can restore. He can take the stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. He can move through the Holy Spirit in your life and make all things new. His mercy is new in the morning, giving us new life. Oh, McCall, if you had only trusted the Lord instead of trusting your statue. David doesn't make that mistake. Oh, Saul, if you had only trusted the Lord instead of your flesh. David just doesn't make that mistake. Verse 15. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 19, then Saul sent, to the, sent the messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, what, why have you deceived me like this? And sent my enemy away so that he has escaped. And Michal answered Saul. He said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Oh, she makes up a story. Oh, he was going to kill me. So I had to do this. So she saves her skin, but she betrays her husband. Now her, now Saul has more reason to kill David. Oh, he threatened my family. He threatened my daughter with death. He's a betrayer. Let's go get him. She was doing so well. She stood up. She's going to protect her husband. But she does it through cunning and deceit instead of openly trusting the Lord. The fruit is, is not going to be good. I mean, David, his wife is gone. His family is gone. I mean, he, he, he slept and worked over Saul. He, he worshipped the Lord in front of his presence day in and day night. And he, he looked up to him. He was his, his mentor, his idol, his king. Jonathan, his best friend, his brother, his blood brother, separated from everything and everyone. David sung in Psalm 59, I haven't done anything wrong, God. And in the middle of our storm, in the, in the middle of our trial, in the middle of, when you're just clinging on to your mental, your spiritual, your physical survival, in whatever situation you're at, you're just thinking, man, if I could just make it through one more hour, I don't get this, I don't understand this. Lord, what purpose is there? And then Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5, 
And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's go back to the the first part. Who glories in tribulations? Not me. No way. Perseverance, I don't like learning that one. Character comes to trial, comes to difficulty. I'll take a pass. Not me. Jesus says we're to be long-suffering, to suffer long. I don't mind suffering if it's for a moment, but you want me to suffer for a long time? You want me to love my enemies? I don't think so. Because in the storm, we don't see the goal. We don't see the end game. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, that we see through the, gla- the glass dimly, meaning we don't, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We're like David, and he's running into the night, except he doesn't know he is going to be the king of all Israel. That God is going to forever and eternity have this trial of his recorded on the pages of Scripture that centuries to the future they will still be teaching about his situation and his circumstances. That his song that he wrote to God in the middle of the night is going to last for all time and eternity on the pages of Scripture. Your trial may not be recorded on the pages of eternal Scripture, but there is not one moment of suffering. There is not one moment of pain and trial, and betrayal in your life that is not acknowledged and recorded in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that God loves you so much, he counts every hair on your head. I count my wife's hairs too, but I count them when they're going down the drain and I'm upset. I love her, but I have not sat there and started counting every intimate detail of her. But God has done that with you. We will not be in his presence and say, oh, I'm not sure if this was worth it, what I went through back on earth. I'm not sure if it was worth the cancer. I'm not sure if it was worth the loss. I'm not sure if it was worth my friends dying. I'm not sure if it was worth the enemy winning for a moment. You will never say that, not for one second in his presence. He knows. He has recorded it, and it's working. But in the storm, we don't see the deliverance. You have to run to Jesus and trust him. You have to cling to the castle, behind the gates, behind the doors. As the enemy is building every siege weapon to try and destroy you and to come against you, we must cling to the keep, the center of the castle, our strong high tower, Jesus Christ. Let's, let's continue the story. And the narrative is going to change here in the last few verses, 18 through 24. And so David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. I'm probably going to say that word like 15 different ways, so please excuse me. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah, 
and came to the great well that is at Seku. And so he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are in Naoth in Ramah. So he went to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went and prophesied until he came to Naoth at Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Oh man, I wonder. Did those words echo? When he was anointed, did they not say, Is Saul also among the prophets? It's come full circle. He sent guys three times to take David. Where is David? What's going on? Samuel has a school of ministry, a school of prophets at Naoth. In fact, we believe he has many on a circuit. And so Samuel doesn't go up into the hills into retirement. What Samuel's doing during this whole narrative is he has these Bible colleges. He's training up men to serve and to love the Lord. David runs to him to hide. I think of Michal. Michal, when David ran to home, Michal protected him. Why is protecting your husband, helping them run to Jesus? Then I think of this church. When people come here, they run here, they hide here. Are we a place that they can run to the Lord? David is now in this college. He's able to run to the Lord to hide. Or do they come here and is in another worldly trap? Well, we want you to be like this, and you need to be like that. I want you to have these 15 check marks. Then you can become a member of this church, write your name on this roll, and you'll be good to go. No, you come here. I don't care what state you're in. And you come in here with your flip-flops and your jeans and your tattoos and piercings on your nose and listening to the most foul music in the planet in your car, and you come in here, we will help you escape to Jesus every time. And any time you come to the message here, we will help you run to Jesus every time. We want a school like Samuel's school. And the Lord protected him. See, that's the thing. In the darkness of night, David had no idea if he was going to be overtaken and destroyed that night. He goes to this college, this school of prophets. And when he gets there, David, or excuse me, Saul sends his messengers to take him and to kill him. And God shows that even though David was in the darkness, even though David was confused, God has been in absolute control of this whole situation from the very beginning. And now he's going to show his hand. And these men are overtaken by the Spirit of God, and they start worshiping God. These men that were sent to kill are now worshiping God, not once, not twice, but three times. Saul gets so ticked off, he doesn't repent. He goes after them himself. And now look at this picture. Before Almighty God, this man that had all power and authority to send all these men to trap these wolves, these dogs that were snarling at David, now Saul must throw off his royal clothing in the presence of God. And God shows his hand. I am in control. And God is in control of your life, even though you may not be in a position now of absolute confusion and fear. Trust God. Cling to Him. I don't know how. I don't know why. But all things will work together for the good. And when you go before the Lord, you will not say, I can't believe you made me do that, Lord. It wasn't worth it. And now Samuel, standing with David, worshiping God. Saul, in the distance, closed off, making a fool of himself, worshiping God. I wonder if it goes through his head. First Samuel fifteen twenty three. It was told to Saul, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, 
and stubbornness is as an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. I wonder if that was going through his mind. There's a promise for each and every one of us going through our trial in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No matter how this works out, no matter what trials we're going to go through, no matter what difficulty you're in now, Jesus is going to win every blasphemer, every saint, every ignorant person, every wise person is going to bow at the name of Jesus Christ because he is the ruler of all creation. Not all will bow in salvation. Nevertheless, they shall bow. He will win. He is in control. He is in authority. Even though we may be in that moment stumbling through the darkness, feeling like we've lost everything, you must trust God. You must run to Him. Run to safety. Run to our strong high tower because He will overcome. He has overcome. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much just that you, in You... We trust for our salvation, not ourselves. In you, we trust for our deliverance. We trust for peace and joy, wisdom and sound mind. They come from you, Lord, not of ourselves, not of our situation. We run to you this morning. We run to your arms and we cling on to you. Our loving Father, who no longer calls us servants, but calls us friends. By your grace, your unmerited favor, Lord. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be more in love with you. Give us more faith this morning. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.